A preacher is attempting to speak to your ears so that words can get into your mind and you can think on them. Please be engaged with your mind as I speak to you. But don't let the words get stuck up here. Hmm, that's interesting, is not the point of preaching. He also wants those words to get down into your heart. I have things not only that you need to know, but also that you need to believe. Allow your affections to be stirred this morning by these truths. If you've never believed, I've been praying for you that Jesus would cause your heart for the first time to go, wait a minute, this is true. And then, of course, don't let things just get stuck in here, but let it come out of your hands. So when we leave today, let your life be different because these words are true. At least that's my prayer and aim in speaking to you this morning. All right, today's Easter Sunday. I want us today to think on and focus on the realness of the resurrection of Jesus, the, the actuality of it. Bottom line, why are we here together? What are we doing here? Why do we have so much energy? Why are we so happy on this day especially? Not that we're down on all other days, but why does this day have a little extra pop to it? We are here because, I don't know why that's popping. Is it too close to me? Is that better? We are here because this carpenter from a village of Nazareth who did some breathtaking and beautiful things and also made some wild audacious claims about who he was, was crucified on a Roman cross, was buried in a tomb, and then rose from the dead. And that changes everything. Another way to say that to you is to say that we are here this Sunday and every Sunday to believe gospel to hear and to believe gospel. Do you know what we mean by the word gospel? Gospel is not good advice so that you can go live a better life. That's not what gospel is. Gospel is not pro tips from the religious Jedi for spiritual living for you. That's not what this is. Gospel is not a way to drum up some emotional feelings. We kind of get our high, and this is our way to get it. We could be in the running club that runs these streets on Sundays. We could be watching a movie at home. But we like to get warm, fuzzy feelings at church. That's not why we're here, and that's not what gospel is. Gospel is not some Zen, fortune cookie, eternal truth that we come and think about. Gospel is news. The word gospel means really good news. Wicked good news. It is the straight-faced, lucid, recounting and declaring of some things that happened. I don't know what your news channel of choice is, CNN. No one. Fox News, either way we got issues. 
NECN, if you're like a New Englander and you're like, that's my news channel, NECN. Do you know the ticker that runs at the bottom of that newscast announcing to you things that have happened? That's the category of gospel. You log on to Yahoo and there's big headlines of things that had happened this week. That is the category of gospel. You know when the Patriots win the Super Bowl and it's every second or third year and then you can go buy that hour-long DVD that recounts to you everything that happened throughout the season to when they're hoisting the trophy? That is gospel. The recounting of some awesome stuff that happened that is very good news. The Christian gospel is in that category. It's news. It is a recounting of some things that God has done in love for sinners, things that happened in real time and so have real implications for our lives. That's gospel. In its original context, this was the word for when the fastest guy in the army would run from the battlefield over the hills to your village to tell you, hey, we won, we won. He would come in sweating, he would gather the people in the square, and he would announce to you something that had taken place. When a messenger announced that news to you, you either believed him or you didn't, but you never said to him, hey, that might be true for you, but it's not true for us here in this village. You never said to him, that's interesting that you believe that to be true, but we believe something different here. That wasn't the category of what he was doing. If what he had to say was true, then it was true for you, it was true for the winners, the losers, and everyone else. It was news. If it wasn't true, then it wasn't true for anybody, not just true for you. That's gospel. That's the category that Easter falls into with its wild declaration that Jesus of Nazareth rose from the dead. Jesus is not risen in our hearts. Jesus is not risen in the same way that spring follows winter and pretty soon we'll see some buds. Jesus is not risen in a mystical, religious sense. Jesus is not risen for Christians, but not for people outside of churches. Either Jesus rose or Jesus didn't. And we are here, and everything about our lives is what it is, because Jesus is risen for real. Okay, nowhere does the scripture unpack the wonders, but the straight-facedness of this gospel more clearly in the text that we had Patty read to you today. The words that she read to you are in your Bible. They're toward the back end where there's a collection of letters that Jesus' apostles wrote to churches like ours. These words were written about 20 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, very close to the taking place of the events. And at the end of this letter to the Christians in the city of Corinth, Jesus' pastor and Apostle Paul is getting back to the bottom line with them of what in the world is going on in their hearts, in their city, and in the life of the church. 
These are the words that Patty read to you. This is scripture. He said at the end of this letter, Now I would remind you, brothers, masculine inclusive, brothers and sisters, everyone in here, I would remind you of the gospel. See it in there? That I preached to you. I did like CNN, and I told you some things that had happened. That you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. I showed up in your city and I told you some things to be true about Jesus. You believed them. You're still believing them. And your continued believing of these things is the means of God's salvation for you. For I delivered to you, here we go again, Yahoo, newspaper, Fox News, I delivered to you what I received, what I was told, as of first importance. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. We are dealing here with the most central and initial and foundational claims of the Christian faith. This is what everything else hinges on. And here's what he says. Number one, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Here's some news. Jesus died. You know the story, Jesus was crucified on a Roman cross on a Friday. Usually they would allow the people being crucified to live for days. In fact, the soldiers would give them some food, give them some water to prolong their breathing until they died. This was to show off to everyone, if you mess with Rome, this is the kind of death that you will face. Nobody died in a few hours on a cross. But because this cross was outside the Jewish city of Jerusalem, and the Romans wanted peace with the Jews who lived in the city, they would make concessions culturally to the Jewish population. And so they knew with the Sabbath coming at sundown on Friday, it would be a great affront to the Jews of Jerusalem to have bodies dying on crosses. And so Pilate, the Roman governor, sent his soldiers to make sure that the guys that they had crucified that morning were dead before sundown. They went over, most likely took one of their sticks, and they would just bash in the shins of the criminals. When they bashed in their shins, they could no longer lift themselves to breathe, and they would quickly suffocate and die. When they came over to Jesus, they noticed, this guy's not breathing. He, he looks like he's already dead. Now, that would be strange And so one of the soldiers took a spear and pierced Jesus' side and out flowed distinctly from another water and blood, which would show that's a corpse up on that tree. And so then they took Jesus down, but he was already dead, dead, dead. Not kind of dead, not a little bit dead, not almost dead, dead, dead. I don't know if it was CSI or Law and Order, but all these shows are like the same. I saw one one time, and you know how they set it up in the first five minutes, and then they pull you in, and then there's commercials every 11 seconds if if you're not watching on Netflix. So I remember this one episode, and there's a 
burnt up, charred out car on the side of the road, just torched. And they're going in with their flashlights and looking at it. No one's in the car. They pop the trunk and there's a body bag in the trunk. It smells. They unzip the body bag and they open it up. And inside of this body bag is a completely crisped, burnt, blackened, gross body. And its eyes are closed and they're looking around the trunk. And then all of a sudden, boom, the eyes open. And everybody jumps back, including the viewers. This body that you had assumed was dead wasn't. Now they rushed him to the hospital, and he died shortly after that. They got faked out from what they thought was happening. That's not this. That's not this. You don't drive a spear through someone's side and have the separated blood and water flow without that being dead, dead, for real, dead. First piece of news, awful news. On Good Friday, Jesus of Nazareth died. Then Paul says this, I also delivered unto you the news that he was entombed or buried. In other words, he, the Romans were not going to bury bodies off of crosses. They would just make sure they're dead and just throw them to the dogs. But for Jews, the body was sacred. There's a belief in the resurrection of the dead coming. They loved Jesus. They wanted to give him a proper burial. So Joseph of Arimathea, a rich believer, Nicodemus, another influential believer, asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate granted it to them. They took him off of the cross. They did what they could with his body with spices and ointments, but the sun was beginning to set at this point. And so they wrapped him up quick and they hustled him over to Joseph's family tomb that had never been used. They laid this dead body inside of this tomb just before the sun set, rolled the stone in front of it so no one would mess with it. Jesus didn't just die, but Jesus was buried. In other words, he was dead for real. Now, for everyone else in history, the obituary ends right there. And now we can say some beautiful things about the person's life. Everyone in the story is expecting it to end right there. Everyone knows he's dead. No one is thinking he's not dead. No one is thinking he's going to come back to life. They're not idiots. I know that they are 2,000 years removed from us, but these are very smart people, probably more in touch with death and dead bodies than anyone in this room unless someone has a part-time gig at Robinson's funeral home over here. They knew what dead was. They had been to funerals before, and they knew that dead people did not rise from the dead. Jesus was dead, and Jesus was buried. News. And then we heard this, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Does everyone see what Jesus' apostle did right here? He does not signal in any way to you, to his readers, to anyone, that there was a category change somewhere in the middle of this list. It's not Jesus seriously really died, and he seriously really was entombed. 
and then he was risen in our hearts, or then he was risen in a spiritual sense, or then he was risen like the rhythms of nature. The same way he died, the same way he was buried, is the same way that Jesus was raised on the third day. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was wild, unexpected, unprecedented, supernatural. Yes, but it was also real. Here's how it went down. I don't know what was going on in the hearts of Jesus' disciples for those nights. I mean, just imagine the grief. But the women are waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting for the sun to peek over the horizon on Sunday morning for the Sabbath to be ended so they can embrace the dead body of Jesus and anoint him properly with ointments. There's no way they slept on Saturday night. If they did, it was fitful. They had everything ready to go like me when I'm traveling. Everything's there and ready to go three days ahead of time. They had everything ready to go. At 5.01 a.m., as soon as the first light of the sun might peek over the horizon, Salome and Mary and the other Mary head out from the village to go to the tomb of Jesus in the dark. They're so distraught. They're so wanting to get to the body that they forget that the stone is in front of it. And halfway there, they go, oh, the stone, we forgot about that. How are we going to get access to his body? What are we going to do? But they don't care. They're trying to get to the spot. As they approach the tomb, the stone is rolled away. As they peek their heads inside and look around, there's no body anywhere. There's no body. An angel of the Lord appears to them and tells them, Jesus is not here. He's risen like he said he would be. Go tell his disciples. They don't know what's going on. A few of them hustle back to tell the disciples what they had just seen and heard. Mary Magdalene hangs around. She's not running anywhere. She's looking around for Jesus. Jesus risen appears to Mary. Woman, what are you looking for? And what does Mary say? Does she go, Jesus is alive. I'm looking for him. Have you seen him? Dead bodies come back to life. What does she say? Tears in her eyes. They've taken the dead body of my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid it. Does everybody feel that even Mary, even after the announcement of the angel, is still not connecting the dots because she knows resurrection doesn't happen. And then Jesus says her name, and she hears it in a way that she had heard it for years and his deep love for her, and she begins to realize, whoa, whoa. Jesus appeared to Mary outside of that tomb. And that's what has to happen over and over and over again. Everyone's first instinct would be your instinct and my instinct. What are you talking about? Until Jesus appears to them and speaks with them. And it's him with the stigmata, but it's him for real alive. And so here's how Paul finishes his gospel, his fourth item on his list, and he appeared to Peter, to the 12, to more than 500 of the brothers, many of whom are still alive, although some have passed away, and to James, and to the apostles, and 
if you need another witness, last of all, because I'm worst of all, he appeared to me. We've seen him really alive. In other words, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not a big fish story. Do we have any fishermen in the house? You can invite me like crazy, but I'm going to be busy every time you're going. (laughs) Does everyone know what a big fish story is? It's a story that starts out with a kernel of truth, but because it has a lot of time and no other eyewitnesses, it becomes some big, grand, legendary myth. Now, we say big fish story because, you know, this is Billy Bob in his tiny little rowboat on his tiny little lake who caught a tiny little minnow. But by the time Billy Bob is telling you about it 50 years later, what's the story become? Dude, there was wind and waves and storms and sea serpents and dragons and this eagle from Lord of the Rings came down and I beat him off with the oar while I was holding on to my thing. 36 hours, no water, no food. I was reeling this fish in and I got him up in the boat and I, I laughed in his face. And then in mercy, I put him back in, man. But you should have seen this fish that I caught. This is what most of our hearts would assume to be true about the resurrection of Jesus. This is certainly what skeptics and academics have written to be true about the resurrection tale of Jesus. Jesus was a great teacher of some sort a long time ago. He taught about peace and love and other good moral things. He got a big following around him. People really dug this guy. And so a hundred or so years after his death, these legends and these stories started to rise up about him coming back from the dead and appearing to people. But it's just a big fish story. What's the problem with those accusations? We could talk for a long time about it, but big fish stories need way more time than this story had. These words are written 20, 22 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. I was married 20 years ago next Wednesday. If we sat down, I could tell you a whole bunch of things beautifully true about where we got married, how awesome Grace looked, how nervous I was, who the preacher was, what songs we danced to, what the DJ's name was, DJ Toto. A sweet name for a DJ. About how I was 22 and all my friends were like 19, 20, 21. And so it was a raucous party. I could talk to you all day. Why? It just happened. There's not enough time for these texts to come for some great mythical legend to have happened. It just happened. And big fish stories don't have living, breathing witnesses that you say, well, go ask him. Go ask her. Here's the photo album. That's not the way that big fish stories work. But what is Paul saying? You can go ask Peter. You can go ask the 12. There's like 500 people who heard and looked at and touched Jesus. And a bunch of them are still alive. 39 Oxford Street, you can go knock on the door and ask them about it. They'll tell you the same thing. No one with a big fish story wants witnesses coming out or being verified. That's not what this was. Do you love me enough to let me use a basketball illustration because it's Easter Sunday? 
okay, because I haven't for nine weeks. Anybody in this room who ever plays basketball with me can tell you what's true about my game and not true about my game. So if they're being honest with you, they will say, he can see the court, he makes great passes, he rebounds everything, and you're going to get hurt with these two things and this thing right here if you're playing against this guy, because he will box you out right into the wall. He dives a lot. Well, he says dives, I say falls, but he's on the ground a lot. And if Cruz catches the ball within five feet of the basket, it's going in. He has this Tim Duncan-esque array of moves that will just leave you dizzy and begging for mercy because it's going in the hoop. They will also tell you, he can't shoot straight. By the third game of every pickup game that I play, the guy that's guarding me backs all the way up near the hoop and is like, please just shoot because you're not going to make it. That's true about my game. All the videos I've watched, all the shots I've taken, it's some kind of a gift to be able to shoot straight. My brother has it, and I don't. Summer of 1991, Winthrop, Massachusetts, on the court by what used to be McDonald's and is now Nick's, I was on a summer league team with some friends from high school. Fred Hagstrom, Kenny Avery, Brendan McNeil, Craig McLaughlin, my buddies from Winthrop, when I went to Savio. On a warm, clear summer evening, I hit eight three-pointers. Those are the ones when you shoot from far away. I hit six in the first half, and the referee came up to me at halftime and said, hey, the record for this court is seven. I've never seen anybody hit six in a half. I was determined to set the world record for the court And so I took like 150 shots in the last 10, and I lost all of my friends, but I made two more baskets in the second half, and somehow made eight three-pointers in that game. Now, who believes me? So that I could prove this to generations to come in the Cruz family, I went over to the scorekeeper, and I said, can I have the scorebook from that game? Because no one's ever going to believe that this guy whose coach said, you are not allowed to shoot outside of the paint ever, set a court record for three-pointers. Upstairs in my attic, in a clear box under a pile of other crap from my youth, is a basketball score sheet that's got my name, and it's got eight threes circled. Fred Hackstrom, Kenny Avery, Brendan McNeil, Craig McLaughlin, and others are still alive somewhere. You can go ask them about what happened on that night. Wild, unexpected, unprecedented, but I'm joking with you, but it's not a big fish story. It just happened 20-something years ago. I have eyewitnesses. That happened. That's resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is much more wild and crazy and unprecedented, but it's just as real. We are not believing a big fish story. Jesus is risen for real. This is something that we all need to come to grips with. The world needs to come to grips with this. It was not a mass hallucination. That doesn't make sense anyway, but that's been written. It was not a huge mistake If it was, somebody would have proffered that body at some point. It was not a giant scam. 
You know why there's so many lawyers and attorneys who love and believe Jesus? Because they go to the Gospels and they see four disparate testimonies, eyewitness testimonies, with no contradictions but with differentiations, and that has the ring of truth to it. And who would be willing to die for a big fish story that somebody's made up? I mean, you can joke about that only so long until they're saying, we're going to crucify you. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is gospel. It's news. It's real. And this is good news because your sins are real. The death that is coming for you is real. Your accountability before your creator, before a holy God is real. Real sinners need a real savior to really die for their sins and really be raised for their justification And that is the grace that we celebrate together today. Let's pray. Father, we celebrate the grace and the love of Jesus for us. We know that we cannot be saved without faith and that that faith is a gift from you. But as we begin to see what is true, we see that it's been true all along. You know us in this room, some of us are here or there along this continuum of believing. I pray that this would be a church of great safety and long time and clear gospel. Jesus, you are as risen from the dead as I am standing here right now. That is wild and unexpected and unprecedented. But you wrote about it in the older covenant. You told your disciples what would happen, and you've done it. I pray that you would capture the heart of this church to live like Christ is really risen. By that, Lord, I mean I pray that we would be so bold and so happy and so free that Jesus, our brother, died for us and rose for us and lives for us now. Thanks that you've given us the grace to be in this room, in this community, to hear this truth to believe it and be changed by it. Help us to see more clearly what it means and how to live in light of it. That Jesus is risen. Whoa. For real. I thank you that we now get to invite Eric into the waters of baptism. That this is a real sinner who really needs to be washed of real sins and he can because Jesus is really risen that he needs his old life to be buried and his new life to be real. And that's happening today because Jesus was buried and Jesus' new life is real. That he needs to be fully united to your son in baptism and in resurrection. And that gets to be real today as he undergoes baptism and walks into life eternal with Christ. This is the best news that has ever run along the ticker of anything ever, anywhere. And I ask that this community would receive it rightly. Hear my prayer. Amen.